0: Welcome to a new trip down the rabbit hole with Carl Baldwin. Good How are you,
1: Carl? I'm fine, Rafa. It's a beautiful morning.
0: Beautiful morning in Transylvania.
1: In Transylvania.
0: And we're so ready to start with the second part of the show. Absolutely. About the magic molecule. Oh, yeah. DNA. DNA. And uh, I think it's uh, important if we start with some basics.
1: Okay. Would you, Rafa, like to have a go at... Pronouncing, yeah. The uh... yes, of course. Go on.
0: <laughs> what is DNA? Well, DNA stands for deoxyribonucleic acid. There we go. Uh, which is a self-replicating material, which is present in uh, practically all uh, organisms uh, on Earth, hmm. and is the main constituent of the chromosomes.
1: I-, I have to say that I know we got these notes uh-huh. from elsewhere, but where it says Present in nearly all living organisms. I'm quite fascinated by so what living organisms don't have it. Uh Uh-huh. But that's Yes. I need to look that up. Yeah.
0: And well of course DNA carries all the genetic information. The blueprint, right? Is the blueprint like let's check. You're gonna have green eyes,
1: blue eyes. Scales, feathers. Yes, whatever. Whatever. And you're you're gonna be a republican.
0: Well, there are some people that says that uh, this influence also certain tendencies in life.
1: That is, well, we'll come to that. Right? Yeah. Right. Uh huh. So yeah. So obviously, as you say, uh, DNA carries uh, genetic information. It's the br- blueprint, and basically, not only does it cover living organisms, but it also covers Viruses, which exactly which are not strictly speaking living, living Uh they are like a a fragment of information.
0: I think viruses are a very interesting form of life. If you want to call it form of life,
1: they are very interesting. Yes, they want to survive too, right? Uh, Yes,
0: yes. So, what do we have in the DNA? It's a thread-like structure. Yes, it's composed of uh, nucleic acids, Mm. protein. Uh, that is found in the nucleus of uh, the cells, Mm. as we said, carrying the genetic information. Uh uh,
1: We call those genes.
0: Exactly, are called genes.
1: Mm.
0: Now, what is, can you tell us now, your turn, nucleic
1: acid? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, what is a nucleic acid? Well, it's uh, an organic substance. It's uh, complex and it's present in all living cells. And, in fact, um, DNA, obviously, is uh, a nucleic acid. That's what the N and the A stand Uh for. But also there is RNA, uh, which is also a nucleic acid. Um,
0: Ribonucleic acid. Exactly.
1: Um, And, basically, these are uh, molecules that consist of many nucleotides linked into a long chain and... They're the building blocks that work together to basically help cells replicate themselves and build the, proteins. The proteins. Now, proteins are interesting. I, I Perhaps you'd like to yeah. take this next one. What is well, a protein?
0: Well, basically, proteins are made of uh, amino acids. Yeah. Uh, through protein uh, – well, let's say a protein can be complex, Yeah. Totally. really complex – and it's a change of those uh, amino acids. Mm-hmm. Uh, all are like... Twisted up. Twisted like a... Like a if you could st-
1: see it. Turkey
0: is right? like a, uh, those that go around, you know. Yeah, the super twist. spirals, right? Spirals, yes. Yeah. And uh, and are practically essential for all uh, living uh, organisms.
1: Well, they form part of tissue. And yes,
0: the because they create and for par- forms part of the tissues. Yeah. And... Hair uh, like and... Muscles. The, yeah. Uh, we know everybody. Oh, yeah. Let's get fit. Let's get big muscles. Okay. Yeah. Get protein.
1: Get the old protein. Yeah. Uh,
0: to build up blocks for your muscles. Isn't you
1: that know? whey powder stuff? Is that protein? Uh, yes.
0: The thing is that uh, uh, it has been checked that uh, instead of... In, in the past was casein considered a good f- source for protein. Right. Until... Somebody come with the whey. Is that made from cow? Cow milk, but right. the whey protein is more pure. Huh? And if you can buy, for example, ninety nine percent whey pure, whey protein mm-hmm. uh, gets absorbed faster, better to build the uh, protein in the muscles. Right. So that's why Huey now it's uh, very important. And you and I, and were, ionized especially.
1: Right, we're, we're straying already. We're straying off the subject yeah. here. But while <laughs> while we're at it, I remember we had a conversation because you used to do powerlifting, and um, and uh, you explained to me once about there's a difference between the kind of muscle that you build doing, say like powerlifting, and then you see these people these men particularly, who seem to be very muscly, but it's built in a different way than not. The main main difference
0: here is how you use your muscles. Right. Your central nervous system has to be able, when you develop or train for strength, Mm -hmm. to recruit as many muscle fibers as possible in the muscle to act at the same time for a certain period of time. Right. That's uh, what would, we would could define as strength. Right. So while some people that is not training strength oh. could develop and get stronger because they're building up mass, right. they are getting stronger because of the amount of muscle fibers. But right. that doesn't necessarily mean that they are using effectively all the muscle fibers in the body. All right. While somebody with less muscle mass could have the same level of strength oh. in an optimized way of using your
1: By uh, training properly. And yes,
0: strength training so properly.
1: Training for strength rather than looks. Exactly.
0: So somebody with much less muscle mass right. could have the same stress, uh, strength as a bulk some guy pump, pumped up. Yeah.
1: kind of gym body of course, type thing.
0: Because his body is uh, used to recruit more muscle fibers right. and use them more efficiently uh, right. than. Somebody okay. that is just doing
1: the other way. There you go. We completely straight up. Yes. Oh, I just thought of <laughs> while we were at it. So, so that was protein. Yes, it's clearly very important.
0: Of course.
1: Um, and uh, proteins are made of Enzymes. amino acids. Yeah, and yeah. antibodies. Yeah, and uh, an amino acid. Uh, apparently, there are there are more than fifty different yes. types, each a little different, and. They are used in cells in your body to build the proteins that you need to survive. And all organisms need some proteins, whether whether they're used in muscles uh-huh. or in simple things like the structures that make up a cell membrane, mm-hmm. which is the thing that encapsulates the machinery inside the cell. Yes. Um, and then... The final thing we come to is uh, an enzyme. Would you like to yes. just cover what an well, enzyme
0: is? Well, enzymes are substances produced by uh, organism that act, act
1: as the catalyst. And the catalyst means it's it kind of triggers a certain yes, reaction. It triggers,
0: helps the reaction, uh, the uh, biochemical reaction, yeah. biochemical reaction. And, well, that's basically, all this is like a change of events.
1: Yeah, exactly. This is like a sequence of yes. actions.
0: That brings up all... This genetic and building up and
1: building a body, putting hair on it, yes. putting teeth in it, and we come to the point of what exactly does DNA does? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Thank> you. <laughs> there you go. Thank you for handing that to me. Um, yeah. Well, as we've said already, um, DNA is a, a large molecule and carries the genetic information for a cell and consists of thousands of genes that express proteins uh-huh so when we mean expressing it means it leads to the creation of specific uh-huh. proteins and each gene has a has essentially consists of a recipe for a specific protein molecule and proteins perform this uh, performing important tasks uh or cell function, or as building blocks, and the way the inf- information flows from the genes in DNA determines the type of protein that is created and what its function is. The in function, a cell. Uh-huh. and um, DNA in a cell is situated in the nucleus, uh-huh. and it is organised into chromosomes and every cell in the human body must contain the genetic information uh-huh. it's
0: like it's like they are trying to follow a recipe
1: God, it is that that it's is all recipe. it is it's just a recipe and it's very robust
0: and recipe. before every cell has to uh, uh, before it divides
1: It has to make a copy.
0: A copy of the recipe. And they pass over the recipe.
1: Exactly. And the fantastic thing about this copying process, which is called replication, Mm -hmm. is that it is super accurate because obviously you can't have any errors in the copy. No. Because that's where things start to go (laughs) wrong. Because
0: the errors will start to carry on in other subsequent copies. And
1: it can produce all kinds of horrible things, obviously, We've seen those movies, right? Oh, yeah, we have. Um, And then, uh, so for example, when a protein is needed, Uh um, the appropriate gene is transcribed into RNA, Uh and that process is called transcription. You can look that up Uh elsewhere. Um, And then what happens is uh, any non-coding parts of the RNA are stripped out, And that process is referred to as processing. Processing. And then uh, the RNA is moved out of the nucleus through a Uh process called transport, transportation. And then once outside the nucleus, uh, the proteins that the gene is coding for are built based upon what is in the The RNA. And it's an amazing, astounding process, actually. Uh And uh, it's amazing if you think of how many generations of Homo sapiens there have been. Yeah. And we've managed to get through all those. It's something like 50,000 generations or something. Uh And we've managed to maintain the accuracy of these copies.
0: And that's when actually all these uh, theories about uh, passing on memories from previous... uh, uh, not previous lives, but uh, relatives, yeah, let's like, say, uh, yeah. bloodline relatives, yeah. could be passed over because the recipe mm. keeps on being passed over and over.
1: Well, obviously, there are traits that get yeah. passed in DNA, like hair color. Uh-huh. Um, you know, certain
0: diseases, even, or physical... Yeah, uh,
1: susceptibility to... Yes, certain DNA. things. But in, but in fact, that's become more complex of late with this emergence of this thing called epigenetics.
0: Yes. Oh, that was fascinating. It's fascinating. It, you were telling me about it before. It is
1: fascinating. And it was first um, kind of uh, hinted at in, um, in the plant world through um, biologists studying hybridization and what happens with subsequent generations of plants and so on. And really, this has only emerged in like the last five years, something Mm -hmm. like that. And it's now um, pretty much accepted that rather than DNA and the genes that encode for the proteins being the only thing that affects what goes on when the next generation of cells are built, there's this new um, factor, epigenetics, which are like a set of switches. And Uh the switches are literally associated, each switch is literally associated with a gene site Uh and can effectively turn it off or on. And and, yeah. and the fascinating thing about these switches is that whereas the genes that encode for proteins are well established in terms of they obey Darwinian evolutionary theory and change very slowly over long periods of time, we're talking uh-huh. tens, hundreds, millions of years... Uh these epigenetic gene switches can actually change within a generation. And this is now thought to be potentially a clue as to why a family, for example, might have uh, a history of, let us say, a condition like a particular kind of cancer maybe. Uh But then in a a next generation, they don't get it. They Uh don't succumb to it. And it's now beginning to be thought that possibly these switches are the reason why the next generation might not get it. In uh-huh. that in one generation the switch is on and in and that potentially codes for a, a faulty protein or whatever uh-huh. and results in uh, susceptibility to a cancer and then the next generation the switch is off.
0: So as I resume like conditions and life experiences yeah. can trigger these switches. Exactly. And you could make a change of a condition for a next generation.
1: Within a generation. And in fact, there have been a number of studies done, and maybe you just want to. Well, I'll just look at. I'll just do this one, which was a a study of twins. Uh huh. And basically, um, this was a study of uh, identical twins, which the technical term is monozygotic. Uh-huh. these are identical, so this is a split egg. These are identical twins, and what was found was that um in uh early years when uh the epigenetic characteristics of the twins DNA was analyzed uh-huh. they were they were found to be indistinguishable from each other but As the twins got older, the epigenetic switch arrangements started to diverge. And this is, again, supporting evidence that it is environmental factors, not only that, but Uh stress factors and so on, that are causing these switch changes. So even though these are twins, potentially if they had children, those children would effectively have their inherited DNA slightly changed by these uh-huh. differences. And there was another one, which is... Uh,
0: the pregnant women yeah. studies that uh, uh, around 10 years ago, maybe a little over 10 years ago, researchers yeah. found that uh, the diets of pregnant mothers could alter the behavior of the genes in their children. <laughs> Amazing, right? And that these changes could last a lifetime. Yeah. So, Wow. And then be passed on, in turn, to their children. Yeah. So the genes were literally being switched on or off. Yeah. And this on and off reminds me like a binary thing, you know, like zeros, ones, yeah. on, yeah. off, yes, no. It's
1: like a, it's a, a, simple a series thing. of switches. Yeah. Yes. And so. And it and it adds a layer of kind of nuance, doesn't it, to, uh-huh. the, to DNA. Instead of it just being, oh, it's that. Yes. There's now all these combinations of switches.
0: You can combine them because if you combine this with that, maybe <laughs> something else happens. No.
1: It's quite astounding.
0: Contrary to the traditional genetic dogma, mm. uh, you know, these changes could be transferred to the next generations. Yeah. So in this case, mothers that just happen to be uh, rats, let's say, but recently similar findings in humans have created a revolution in our thinking.
1: Yeah. And, and, Going on from there, there was actually a study done.
0: Because, uh, yes, recently with what happened on 9-11 in the mm. U.S.,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh women who were traumatized by the attacks on the World Trade Center mm. were far more likely than other women to give birth infants who reacted with unusual levels of fear and stress yeah. when faced with loud noises, unfamiliar
1: people, or new foods. That is unbelievable, right? Uh huh. So that's a, that is a... Obviously, it's, it's not proof no. but it is a strong correlation.
0: Between big events in your life and that,
1: stresses, that marks you
0: yeah. and that turns on a switch yeah. and that switch can be passed on to the next generation.
1: <laughs> and it's kind of, you can see, it is where Darwinian evolution works ar- across large periods of time. This is a short-term reaction, isn't
0: it? And that is, I think, it a lot related to what uh, people always say about humans hmm. and their Adaptable. adaptability. Exactly.
1: And it kind of plays in, in some regard, to the fact that we're living through a period, I don't know whether you uh, read this, but there's been a movement. You know we have these different epochs, they call called, uh-huh. uh, like um, in the past there have been various epochs these are large swathes of time where a certain yes. thing dominated. Uh-huh. There is actually a movement to name this period that we're in, and the name that's being suggested is the Anthropocene, and it's what it means is the age which is determined by man's influence on the planet Earth. Mm-hmm. And it's the, obviously it's the first time it's happening, but we're having such an influence that it's being proposed that. This is an age, this is an epoch, uh-huh. it's going to be called the Am- Anthropocene. And what I'm trying to get to is that, obviously, we're living in a period of fairly rapid environmental change, we, we're all experiencing it in various ways, and we also know that we are potentially facing a, an extinction bottleneck in uh-huh. seeing this species die back we're seeing this ramping of mm-hmm. species becoming um, extinct, and it's happening globally. It makes you think that in years gone by people you you read stuff about potentially man, this is a threat to mankind because uh-huh. Darwinian evolution doesn't work on these time scales uh-huh. of this rapid change <laughs> yes. but here's this epigenetics. Which actually works, works now. in short timescales. Yeah. So nature is a pretty smart cookie, right? It's, oh, yeah. It's got a long-term kind of solution and, mm-hmm. a, and a short-term response as well. Mm-hmm. It's almost like crisis management. In fact, when we talk about these
0: uh, bottleneck uh, events mm. where species or where even humans go through sometimes… Yeah.
1: A collapse. A collapse. Mm.
0: The people that survive most likely is related to this adaptability and yeah. these genetic switches on and off to the circumstances or the actions or the situations happening in that yeah. particular moment. The
1: right switches got flipped. Yes. And their children happen to be slightly uh-huh. more adept at surviving. Uh-huh. So, on and so forth. It's and interesting.
0: All this even could be related to how much time uh, our species of uh, uh, gestation, you know, grow and have birth, give birth to a baby, mm. the shorter the time, yeah. the more uh, uh, survival chances that you might get.
1: Yeah. Who, who, in fact, knows as we journey through this, bit, I mean, you and I won't witness it, but as, as the, uh, shall we say, mankind journey, yeah, makes a journey through this period of um, environmental change and um, um, and so on, that who knows what might emerge as survival traits through mm-hmm. this epigenetic stuff. So maybe the kind of X-Men... Exactly, I was of, about to say,
0: exactly that.
1: <laughs> the hybrid
0: humans... That probably people will start to develop certain abilities yeah. to survive. Exactly. Who knows, right? Yes. It's a little bit like uh, the previous episode going into these kind of theories, but uh, it's related to uh, yeah, see, it's, epigenetic.
1: Exactly. Anyway, so one question that kind of comes up with this epigenetic uh-huh. uh, area is uh, are it's a broad question. Are epigenetic changes hereditary? And the general consensus at the moment <laughs> is that uh, strict Darwinists, that is obviously people who kind of... Religiously believe put Darwin- Darwinistic yes. evolution as the kind of mantra. Yeah. They are pretty worried because this ep- epigenetic stuff is really quite compelling, mm-hmm. the evidence. Um... And that uh whereas in the past researchers used to think that when a sperm and an egg combined, the epigenetic switches were erased, uh and therefore the embryo that resulted was like a clean slate, like a blank sheet. Mm-hmm. now they're having to deal with the fact that uh at least one percent of these epigenetic switches survive that process, uh-huh. and are being passed directly to the yes. subsequent generation. Something like,
0: it's almost impossible to get a full reset.
1: It would appear so. It's almost like there are there are global variables in terms of yeah. computer science. But you know what would be survive. interesting?
0: If there is, or could be possible, a full reset, hmm. how you will actually what, what look would be- like, <laughs> what will happen to you? Because... <laughs> What, you will come back to the first Homo sapiens?
1: Who knows, right? (laughs) I'm sure there's a lab somewhere in China, and if you're listening, please let us know if you've tried this already. Uh If it's going to happen anywhere, we think that's where it's going to be.
0: And there's another interesting part about DNA, Hmm. and used to be called junk DNA. Junk
1: junk DNA, yeah. Um, Now we, now we
0: know that... There's no such thing as
1: young It would appear so.
0: DNA. Uh, it was around the 70s when the uh, biologists first uh, glimpsed the landscape of the genes, you yeah. know, yeah. started to get in. And they saw that small pieces of the DNA uh, that coded for proteins, known as uh, also exons, hmm. uh, seemed to be floating like yeah. bits of wood in the sea, you know, like just yeah. genetic garbage around. Yeah, just bits yeah. here and there. And of course they were like... What is this? What's all this
1: stuff in there? What's all this other stuff?
0: Yeah. So uh, a molecular, uh, very luminary guy. Francis Crick. Francis Crick. Who
1: discovered The DNA,
0: the uh, the double helix uh, uh, structure Mm. suspected that it was more than just junk floating around Mm. without any use. So the phrase that of junk DNA actually has came been from, came from him, from him, and has been
1: like how can you say haunting? Well, it's it's kind of stuck. It's <laughs> an idea. The... It's, it's a it's become a meme, right? Yeah. Of the DNA world is that junk DNA, this, that, and the other. Uh-huh. But um, in two
0: thousand, in the year two thousand,
1: yeah, there was uh, a surprise, which uh-huh. was that. Um, it turns out that... Um, the
0: scientists of the Human Genome Project. Yeah.
1: Well, at that time, they were saying around 2000 that 97% of the 3.2 million, base Billion. Billion, billion which are uh, effectively uh, the genes, had no apparent function. Uh-huh. and And it looked like the active bits uh-huh. were hugely padded out with all this rubbish... Uh And yet this was the accepted uh, mantra, right? Uh But, uh, wind the clock forwards a dozen years. Just
0: two years. No, 12 12 years.
1: 2012, we're talking three years ago. uh, It is now believed, and the evidence is very strong, um, that the junk DNA actually holds a huge... And we're talking, yes. about, we're talking about 97% of DNA that was previously considered junk is now apparently thought to contain a huge inventory of switches and signals and signposts embedded throughout the entire length of the human DNA. And the project, which was uh-huh. a huge global project called ENCODE, Encode. Is actually reinventing the vocabulary of DNA and and our understanding of inheritance and this disease is. um and there's this now this concept of gene regulators and yes
0: that maybe up to fifty percent of the genes are regulators are
1: regulators, and they're regulating how the genes work now. Obviously, there's, there's obviously some interaction or crossover here with this epigenetic stuff. Yeah. Um, but, again, the interesting thing is that whereas the, gene, the genes that we know encode for proteins and enzymes and all this stuff, they work on Darwinian timescales, uh, it is already established that these gene regulators work on a much shorter timescale, literally a generation. Uh-huh. So there's clearly a connection here between this epigenetic yes, and this stuff. But we are entering an absolutely fascinating phase of genetic medicine uh-huh. and all that stuff. Anyway, so that's the kind of standard kind of view of DNA and so on. We come to this final
0: yes, which surprise is section really. That DNA as a long term data store. Yeah. Uh DNA, if we watch it as a hard drive, uh, can store or has has been built to store uh, data for one million years.
1: Which we just might add is a lot better than a DVD. Which is. I believe so. (laughs) Which is apparently a maximum of 15 years.
0: Yes. And one gram of DNA is capable of holding. 455 exabytes.
1: Yeah, what is an exabyte, right?
0: Which is 1 billion gigabytes.
1: And that stores a lot, right? well, That's like,
0: wow. And, Incre- what? and it's just one gram of the DNA that we have in our body.
1: And it's thought that uh, one gram of DNA could store all the data currently held by Google and Facebook. And, and, pre- and pretty much everything else, everything else, literally, cool. yeah. literally, the entire internet as it is today, snapshot, can be can holding be one, gram. In one gram of DNA. That is astounding,
0: incredible, and and it's very simple the way it stores the information.
1: It, it is very simple. Well, the way the way scientists have used it is that they use the uh, base pairs which have letters a uh-huh. c <clears throat> t and g um basically what they do is they use the a and c base pairs they are a zero take that as a zero and a t and g pair as a one
0: so this is the binary part yeah, of the switch
1: exactly so uh-huh. they're basically using the basic structure of dna to store binary information and um it has already been shown that, um, and in fact, two scientists in Switzerland, in Zurich, uh-huh. they stored um, a a a uh, a text written by Archimedes of all people. Uh-huh. They actually stored it on a one DNA strand, and they then took the DNA strand and encapsulated it in some tiny glass spheres and the spheres were just 150 nanometers in diameter. Wow. And then what they did was they then exposed those glass spheres to various conditions. Maybe you could uh, tell Uh us about that.
0: Well, they exposed them, first of all, the most common one is temperatures. Yeah. Moving between 60 to 70 degrees Celsius uh, are conditions that could replicate that chemical degradation, and
1: over hundreds of years this in real time. normally
0: would occur over hundreds of years, yeah. but uh, all this was put all together yeah. in just a few weeks.
1: Yeah, intensely.
0: And the data that was uh, contained there were 83 kilobytes. Yeah. 83 kilobytes of data.
1: Yeah.
0: Now, they found that even after this uh, sped up uh, process, degradation process, the DNA inside these uh, spheres... Could easily be extracted yeah. using a fluoride it was solution,
1: totally readable,
0: and exactly was still usable, readable, uh, intact. Yeah, and in fact, this glass casing seems to work uh, like a fossilized, uh, yeah. like fossilized bones could work. Exactly, work.
1: And in fact, uh, they're they're saying that uh, information preserved in this way and stored at say minus eighteen degrees Celsius, and you you may think. That's a bit weird, uh-huh. but in fact, of course, there is this Svalbard Global Seed Vault. Yeah, which maybe people know about that, but it's a it's a store of all um, a vast range of seeds uh-huh. and other stuff, but mainly seeds, and it's buried in a uh, glacier in uh, Svalbard, which is in the uh-huh. um, north near yeah. the near the North Pole somewhere. Um, and what they're saying is that if it was, if these glass DNA data in the glass beads was stored there, the data would survive a million years. Uh huh. So, and this beat, bolt beat that DVD.
0: Yeah. And the interesting part is that this bolt uh, mm. is also known as a doomsday bolt. It is called the doomsday. In bolt, case there's any global event, yeah, there's a way to try to restore to get back things. Yeah, because yes
1: because we live in an age where the number of actual crop varieties are shrinking rapidly because uh-huh. of uh, um gma G, G, Mod- G- genetically
0: mean? modified
1: all oh, uh, is
0: gmos gmo
1: sorry <laughs> <coughs> uh, because of gmos we the we are facing this uh, kind of collapse of varieties and so this Doomsday Vault was partly created to preserve uh-huh. all these traditional varieties that we may need at some point, right? Yeah. Um, and,
0: well, there's a tricky part of all this reading. Mm. It has to be read properly.
1: Mm. You have to have a reader, right?
0: In order for future civilizations to be able to access it. Mm. And despite uh, all these advances in the sequencing technology, mm. errors still arise from DNA sequencing. Mm. Mm. And it would be so interesting, for example, if by this sequencing uh, we could read what probably in the past yeah. lives happened, you know, yeah. um, understand our evolution yes. a little better.
1: Yes. Well, yeah. I mean, one of the disadvantages right now of this... Um, uh uh-huh. DNA encoding of data is the cost. and of course. It has to be said that it is a little bit expensive at the moment. Uh This is where DVDs win, okay, (laughs) at the moment. And basically to to encode this 83 kilobytes of data, this Archimedes text, actually cost (laughs) $1,500. Yes, that is expensive, but it was an experiment. Uh, And I'm sure that... um, but over time, obviously, that cost is going to plummet. And in fact, one little interesting point is there is actually a band, a rock band called OK Go, and they actually released an album About on DNA. It was actually uh-huh. encoded on DNA.
0: Yes. Actually, there are many bands around making this kind of uh, concept Novel. albums <laughs> based on many stuff like this, genetics. Yeah. Aliens um...
1: Yes, but The difference here is that this album Was actually encoded On DNA Wow! It was released (laughs) On DNA Okay It's worth looking up, the band is called Okay Go And they are Hmm. currently the only band Obviously Uh To have done that Because nobody can read it (laughs) <laughs> Nobody can play the music. Yes, it's not like but, you can
0: go and download your DNA piece and play uh, it somewhere else.
1: But you can potentially imagine in the future you might have a reader. The
0: size of a USB stick, for example. Yeah, just and
1: you just drop, you know, dip it in the old glass spheres and yeah. shove it in your in your ear because obviously you'll have... <laughs> uh, you will have a plug in your head? Uh, like, yeah, yeah, we'll have a probably USB 5 by then. <laughs> it probably won't hang up as often yeah. as it does currently. Um, and you'll just be able to access that mm-hmm. information. It'd be quite interesting, and uh, maybe, maybe you would have a reader under your tongue, well, and you just get some of the glass and just under your tongue uh-huh, and acquire. instantly acquire the information.
0: Well, that would be an interesting thing—a uh, way to make uh, superhumans, also with lot of knowledge immediately teach children to exactly. instead of going to school pop, drop them some
1: yeah, get some of these in some there. of these you your, have the knowledge in your breakfast cereal
0: yes now you know a lot of stuff so now come up with something new
1: yeah now <laughs> get to work
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay enough of this enough uh, I hope you really enjoy it remember to get in touch with us subscribe and that's it for the rabbit hole of this week thank yeah. you Carl
1: thank you Raf. See you next week. Okay.
0: All names, sounds, logos, and other related items are owned by their respective trademark and copyright holders. This podcast is a production of Dark Mind Radio. Go to darkmindradio.com to find out more. All rights reserved. Dark Mind Radio, 2016.